you've made it to the finale. Well, you best get prepared, because you're about to find out the reason why this show is called Aetherin Dark Saga. Enjoy the new intro. Aetherin Dark Saga is a dark fantasy audio fiction. It contains themes of violence and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Rowan. The Wanderer returns, I see. Welcome back, Rowan. I trust you have seen enough. Once again, standing at the base of the steps, Rowan found himself looking upon the hideous form of the archdemon Valmaris. As he stared up, what little light illuminated the chamber shone upon its spiked armor and pale face. The shark to smile which spread across its visage made his skin crawl. Well, you have something you wish to say to me. How do I even know that was real? Oh, it was. It is exactly what has, is, and will happen. Neither I nor you can stop that. The wheel has turned far too much for you to pull it back. No. Again, I offer you a chance to save your brother. All I've learned is that my brother's soul is but one of many souls who will suffer. And if I'm to yield my body over to you just to stop this Astaroth, what will happen to my soul? What will happen to me? Where will I go? Well, to whatever gods you pray to, of course. You're a liar! If that was the case... All Wind's soul would have found its way to Lenarin's side. No. Now you're using me, I can see it now. Rowan, Rowan, Rowan. The difference is, once I have stopped this miscreant, I shall return here, and that will free up your soul. So you will destroy my body and set my soul free once you've taken care of Astaroth, and that's it? That is correct. What are the others? The others. Vragov, Balran, Anshar. It's lies. Well, those names. I have learned them from your visions. Seems to me that even you don't have all the answers, Valmaris. But here's one for you. No. I will kill Astaroth myself and free my brother's soul. And if I die in a trying, then I will wait for him in the afterlife. Where you will be joined. What? No. No, you're lying. 
You have made your decision. So be it. <laughs> we are finished here. The archdemon turned and gave a dismissive gesture, waving his elongated fingers as he began to ascend the ebon steps back to his throne. Rowan felt an overwhelming sensation of nausea. It wasn't until he fell to his knees that he realized the room was now turning. And not only was it turning, but it was spiraling down. The grind of stone upon stone sang its ancient song as the circular platform corkscrewed its descent into the deeper regions of Ebonstone Keep. Upon reaching its intended destination, the platform locked with a boom. It was only then did he hear it. Coming from directly below rose up a grotesque harmony. Chattering mandibles and snapping teeth urged him to look down. Beneath the platform, a sea of scorpion-like beasts moved in a black, chitinous sea. This is what awaits you when you fall. When Astaroth devours your soul, I will be waiting. And when you are reborn, not amongst your stars, or the loving embrace of that mewling bitch you call a goddess, but here... In the halls of agony and despair, my pets will tear your flesh. And I will see it renewed again and again until the last sand in the hourglass has fallen. You, Lord of Lava, will suffer beyond imagination. eyes snapped open and he was back in the vigil chamber the purple light of the Aramas stone pulsed slowly with a dim light the voice of the Grand Master Ulrich still faintly in his hearing and then a piercing noise accompanying a sharp stabbing pain deep within his head the man of Gilglas snapped his hands up towards his face his palms filling his eye sockets as his fingers gripped a hot scalp through sweat drenched hair the pain will fade, Robin. Try to concentrate. Heed my words. Listen only to my voice. Ulrich, listen to me, Robin. I'm listening. You need to get on your feet, and yet another wave of agony flashed through his head, feeling a warm fluid trickle from his nostrils, his mouth filled with the taste of his own blood. There is a boy. His name is Sigmir. He is hiding. Find him and then find Sigil's body. Take his key. Go to the vaults. Take the lodestone. And run. Find the goddess. What's going on? Is this part of the vigil? Is this even real? Rowan, listen. You're in danger. Find the Venice boy. And take the lodestone from here. Go to Atlantia. You must travel to Kufgulin. You have friends there. Where's Envidar? Just do as I say. Find the boy and... Rowan's head snapped backwards. 
the psychic bond between he and Ulrich was broken, and the backlash sent him reeling, akin to receiving a heavy blow to his forehead. With blurred vision, his head swam. The feeling caused him to vomit inside of his mouth, spitting it out between his crossed legs as he struggled up through the pins and needles sensation, up onto all fours. With all the grace of a newborn calf, his arms shook in a tremor-like movement as he struggled to support his weight. A thin line of saliva dripped from his bottom lip as he rose to one knee. It took a few moments before the pain began to fade, his sight returning in its passing. What was going on? What had happened? Had they been attacked? Where was Anvidar? Picking up the fallen cloak which had once belonged to his brother Aldwin, Rowan stumbled his way out from the safety of the vigil chamber and into the uncertain fate which now awaited him. Sigmir. Somehow he had managed to slip by unnoticed. He watched from his hiding place as what seemed like a black spider web began to emerge from thin air. The noise drew his attention at first, startling him. Then a strange crunching sound as black oily liquid seeped through the cracks, a precursor to the shattering of this reality. He watched as this small section of the world splintered and collapsed like the glass of a mirror punched through from the other side. He'd gone rigid with fear as they stepped into the library. One by one, these things. Amongst them, a man. A cultist of that, there was no doubt, but this man was alone. Alone amongst these hideous creatures and seemed completely at ease. The very thought turned Sigmir's stomach. How he wished he'd been allowed to go with Kree and Orin or that he'd just stayed in his cell. Instead, he was here, amongst the books he'd longed most of his life for, alone and in grave danger. Where is your man, Hassan? I am thinking the same, Lord Duke. No matter. We are here, and even if he is not, we are inside. He is yours to deal with as you see fit. Of course, my lord. The rest of you... You know why we are here. Find the lodestone and return it to me. Fail me in this and... You dare speak to us with the assumption of dominance. I did not agree to be your slave, Vokrul. <laughs> oh, mighty Balran, forgive my impudence. You are bound to me. Ancient one or not, you are mine to command. Unless you wish further imprisonment, you will do as I say. That goes for all of you. Even at this distance, peering through the bookshelves in this dim lighting, he could see the scowl across this creature's skinless face, its yellow teeth, dog-like, remaining clenched tight with anger. The sound of approaching feet drew their attention to the doorway. Give my lightness, Hassan. I... The newcomer, shocked at the sight that now confronted him, fell to his knees. Did you bring this stone? 
I could not retrieve a key. I plan to take the Icon of Wars after I murdered it. N none can access the chamber where his body lies. And the, the lodestone still resides in the vault where no demon can... Uh, uh, only a mortal can go inside. Aramas stone make up its walls. I... 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 What do you mean, his body? Y yeah, yeah, uh, They planned a ritual. A ritual of joining. From what I know, Anvador would have been, well... Let's say pretty powerful. It is a powerful right of their god. Yeah, so I... I poisoned Anvador's mead. <laughs> he didn't have a clue, but now he's dead. I, I got him for you. It was for you, Astaroth. Lord Astaroth. Well, Melanus, it seems you have served a purpose after all. This does not redeem you. But you still have a chance to survive all this. Anvidar had been poisoned, and by a fellow member of the Order no less. The thought terrified him. How easy for someone so strong and powerful to be laid low by such a cowardly act. It sickened him. I had hoped to find Sigorf in here, or at least his key. That's why I chose this place. He's usually alone in here at night. You will wait here then. Perhaps he will return, and you can take his key. Once, once I get a key, uh, where can I find you? I'm sure you won't struggle with that. Just follow the screams. <laughs> Signia watched as the fiendish group left the library. Astaroth, the largest of the group, ducking under the stone archway, which was double the height of a man. He held his breath as the traitor Melanus came close running a hand along the books in a bored gesture. He did not know why they were here, these demons, but it could not be good for the Order, nor for the people of Kalandor, nor for the people of Arn, for that matter. Maybe it was joining the Order and speaking his vows to forsake his vanished gods in favour of Galador, and in doing so, taking on a sense of responsibility for others around him and defending the defenceless. Maybe this was pushing him, he could not say. But for whatever reason it was, as terrified as he was, Sigmir felt compelled to act. At his current rank, Sigmir was not permitted to carry a weapon. But what he did have was a quill. And next to that quill, as well as parchment and an ink pot, was a sharp knife. A blade he used to cut his quill tips. He stepped slowly, his movements in time with Malinus's hoping to mask any noise he made with the traitor's own. The wooden table he had been practicing his letters on was not far from where he now hid, but it was also close to Malinus, who was sitting in the very chair he had been earlier. As the traitor, who still wore the order's garb, turned at the sound of approaching feet and began to rise, Sigmir saw the opportunity and slipped out from the shadows, keeping out of the man's line of sight, stepping round, towards the desk, snatching up the blade and hiding beneath the wooden table. Clutching the knife, he looked out from beneath, the shadows covering him completely. From here, he could see the back of Melanus's legs as he stood, waiting to confront whoever was coming this way. It was too late by the time he'd noticed. 
too late to do anything but prepare for the inevitable. In his haste to retrieve the blade and hide, he had knocked over the inkwell, and a steady bead now dripped from the table above. His heart raced. It was only a matter of time before he heard it, and then the feet turned and made their way towards him. He heard the ink pot being turned over as well as the confused noises Melanus made upon approach. Sigmir's heart pounding, filling his ears as adrenaline coursed through his veins like wildfire. Hello? Hello? Sigulf? His dark brown eyes shut wide as he saw a hand go palm down upon the floor in front of him as the traitor began to kneel down. Melanus, what are you doing in here? Oh, I, I, I heard a noise in here. Came to see who it was. Thought maybe it was you or... Well, it wasn't. Oh, I, I could have swore I heard someone. Maybe it was just Yeomar again. Yeomar, in here alone. Yeah, he's always looking around those uh, old Sondaran tomes. This one is gone, look. They moved away, and Sigulf came into view. The icon of knowledge began scanning the shelf behind, bending his knees to read the titles on the spines. Well, I don't see <coughs> any... Oh, that'll be because your eyes are bulging out your head. Sigmir was stunned. He watched as Sigulf grasped at his throat, blood flowing freely from the slash across his jugular. Melanus, the traitor, cradling his body to the floor as he reached down for something upon Sigulf's belt. The icon of knowledge grasped his hand in a last act of denial. The distraction was all Sigmir needed. He sprang from under the desk, running headlong at Melanus, sinking the blade into the man's back over and over in a terrified frenzy. <laughs> you bastard! Die! <laughs> Melanus slumped forward. In one of the initial strikes from Sigmir, he had sliced into the man's spinal column, cutting off the use of his body. Melanus could only mourn wheezing gasps before choking as blood filled into his lungs. The squelching thump continued as Sigmir stabbed again and again, scared the man would rise back up to get him. As he shook, trembling, letting go of the blade, Sigmir stared at the two bodies before him. Sigulf. The man had been kind to him of sorts, and he was to be his teacher. It upset him to see him this way yet he could do naught but endanger himself in calling out. For all his knowledge, it was plain. Sigulf could not defend himself. He would not have been able to defend Sigmir. In the traitor's twitching hand was a key. To what or to where he did not know, only that this key was important. Important enough to kill a man for. And so he would take it and place it in the hands of the Grandmaster as soon as he could. The order must be warned. Lieutenant Marin. He'd waited 
and waited and waited. Now. Now was the perfect time for him to move. He heaved, pushing as best he could, broken ribs and arm impeding him all the while, yet he fought on through the pain. Blocked out the agony he was in, adrenaline coursing through him as he struggled and squirmed in a desperate attempt to flee. He knew what would happen if they saw him. He'd watched them as they'd fled the bodies of his fallen men. Watched between the broken corpses of his fellow soldiers as they stripped the flesh from them like a soaking wet glove. He looked as he clawed his way out past another face he recognised. Under any other circumstances, he might have smiled. Seeing that incompetent buffoon Geffen laid low, he'd cost the lives of many a young lad in his arrogance and stupidity, but now, with what remained of his face, the sight made Merrin feel naught but pity. The lieutenant struggled to get a hold of the brickwork floor. As uneven as it was, the stone was slick with blood and hard to grip. But much, much slower than he'd liked, he made his way up to his feet and waited again as he crouched. He could hear voices in the distance. They were faint but echoed within the fortress's corridors. Knowing his best means of escape was the sewer, he crept as quietly as his painful shuffle would allow, his bruised back sliding along the darkened wall as he descended into the keep's bowels. One area remained and he would have to pass through it to reach the grate leading into the sewers beneath Fort Drayden. The fortress's walls saw little use outside of a place to send drunken soldiers as punishment, sleeping off their black eyes and broken noses to the sobering reality of the following day hangover and the loss of pay hit home. As he approached the rusted gate that led on inside, he saw the glimmer of a candlelight, and his heart sank as a familiar voice fell upon his ears. Has Geron told you what we are about to do today? Yes, my lord. I'm going to be accepted at your ranks. Good. Very good. Listen, child. You must do exactly as I say. Is that understood? I, I, I will. I promise. Drink this, Lose. That's it. All of it. Merrin peered through the square opening of the latticed gate. A boy, little more than twelve winters, stood between the hideous creature he had seen earlier and his companion. The floor had been painted, a symbol of what he could only guess was dark magic, candles burning amongst the pattern. Standing at the periphery, as if surrounding the symbol at its edges, yet more robed figures stood, Unmoving, but clearly observing all the same. Oh, my belly. It, it burns. Don't worry about it. It won't last. This is what you want, isn't it? To join us and become more powerful. The boy nodded. Well, do as Lord Kazalan says. Go into the center of the abyss. Cover yourself with this. The wretched creature held out a dark cloth, which the child wrapped himself in head to toe. Stay low, do not be seen. He watched on, as without warning a black line appeared like a slice in the fabric of reality, and then from that slice cracks began to appear. Small fragments fell away, revealing a dark void behind, 
and within a matter of seconds it shattered. He saw a boot at first, and then, shining scales like that of a fish, a tall, slender humanoid stepped through the pelt of some majestic grey beast upon its shoulders. An emerald light lit its path. Time passed for the briefest of moments before he saw the light shone from within a blade. A falchion, in fact. Its steel, the hue of bleached bone, and appeared as sharp as a guillotine. This is unexpected. You are the Asarian prince. Leviathan, are you not? Where is our master? Your master will be ready shortly, Kazalan. The voice came from within the portal, though the speaker was unseen. They appeared to be waiting on the other side, but for what reason, he did not know. Ah, Mesh, I had wondered if you had abandoned us. My lord Valmaris's favoured vessel refused to join us and could not be persuaded otherwise. I see. As luck would have it, I have an adequate replacement for him. Resourceful as ever. Very well, Necromancer. A short moment passed, but for Merrin, suffering with fractured ribs and a broken arm, the waiting felt like an eternity. Do you have the tall armoured warrior raised up a cloth bag. A dark blue fluid dripped from its underside, illuminated by the candlelight. Then let us proceed. Jeroff. In an instant, the one whom he knew to be Kazalan raised up his crooked black hands, a pale blue flame outlining his fingers as they glowed within the darkness. At first, nothing happened. Then all at once, it seemed like the very air had been sucked from the room. An overpowering silence muted his surroundings. The candles burned brighter, and the painted outline on the floor glowed with a purple light. A crimson fog rolled in through the portal. It cascaded downwards, then rose up into the dank air of the prison, twisting as it did so. The heart. Give it to me. The tall warrior with a falchion handed over the bag. Immediately after, he placed his helmet atop his head, its blood-red ponytail swishing as it settled. Marin recognised what was happening here. The warrior in the shining scale. The Asarian prince, they had called him was preparing for a fight. The pale creature Kazalan opened the bag and a smirk cracked his hideous features. I see you have been busy, Levias. No doubt, Lesh has a hand in this. You do know what he will do to you when he finds out, don't you? Levias's blade was out in a blur and at the neck of the necromancer, 
its green glowing runes pulsing. My lord. Proceed, Jeroff. The crimson mist, which had gathered in full, circled above like a vulture circling carrion, waiting for its moment to feed. Not that I would expect you to understand, but I was once a follower of Alvey and an Elodar, like your friend Lesh. did not move. He was statuesque, as without so much as a tremble in holding his falchion to the necromancer's throat. But I only used my faith in Alvey to gather power. I sacrificed the great druids of the grove to get that power. I forced Alvey to grant me immortality like his high priestess, and by the laws of the gods, there could be no denial. The necromancer slid his blackened hand into the bag, pulling out its contents. The hunk of muscle was coated in dark blue liquid. Thick and viscous, it fell away like slime, spattering upon the stone floor. I respect your decision, Matthias. I respect that you have chosen a path which might result in some solace for you, may grant you a chance of the revenge you desperately seek. But it is the wrong choice. Kazalan released his grip, the flesh in his hand slapping on the ground as it landed. You have made a grave mistake in your need for vengeance, both yours and flesh. For in this mistake, you have denied me. Meron's gaze was drawn away as he saw the man, Jeroth, whip away the cloth from the young boy, who now lay shivering underneath it, clearly poisoned. The mist seemed to come to life, spiralling downwards, finding entry in the child's eye, mouth and nose, forcing its way inside. I was to absorb our Maris. Absorb his power and soul in its entirety. And both of you have made that impossible. The boy rose up, his body shaking as he lay flat, floating in the air. Merrin felt lightheaded, unable to believe what he was now seeing. The glow of blue flame cast light upon all present, and the smell of burning flesh found its way into his nostrils. He gagged at what he'd been witness to. A child. He was just a child. Orin. Orin stood facing the battlements, the northern wind surging around him snatching up the banners and flags of Kalandor, unfurling them and flying them high. The cold air did its best to seep through the gaps in his clothing, nipping at his exposed hands as he held his new bow. At both sides, a long line of archers stood by in double rows. They awaited command, 
their arrows wrapped in pitch-soaked cloth hovering by the small braziers, one between eight. He had seen roughly forty winters, an achievement in these unforgiving lands where death breathed upon the necks of all who walked beneath Solarin. And now, as he looked upon the gathering horde outside of Kalandor's walls, he wondered if he would ever see another. They had fled. Fled from the Iron Dales, fled from an ambush, fled from the very jaws of death itself. When leaving the city, the combined forces of the Order's knights and the nation's standing army were five thousand strong. Yet they died in the hundreds and returned with less than half. The casualties had not come from cowardice. In fact, they had fought bravely in the pass, using the land to their advantage. Yet those who stayed to defend, in hopes of allowing the majority to escape, died in brutal fashion. The high commander of the king's army, Argorin, a dour man who looked more like a judge than a warrior, had fallen to the enemy defending the pass. Their flank had been overcome with the failing of his second-in-command, a foppish lord named Dravin, the very man whom had come to Vengart to plead his case with the Order. He had disobeyed his orders and failed in his duty, turning his back like a coward and fleeing at the first sign of the enemy. He took with him a group of deserters, as well as what remained of the morale. Kriya. She had been the one to save them. She had called upon the power of her blood-fueled magics and conjured up a wall of brilliant light, blocking the pass and delaying the enemy's advance. She alone had given the survivors the time they needed to flee, the time they needed to make it back to Kalandor's high walls, even if it was just enough time to die in defense of them. Oi, minor bird. Well, a lot of you as well, Sergeant. Thought I'd come and see the view from up here. Really? I'd have thought you'd seen enough. I know I have. To be honest with you, can't see us making it out of here alive. And I know you're a northerner, and I won't hold that against you. But you are an Arterian, and if I'm gonna die, I'd like to die beside one of my kinsmen. You keep them from getting too close, and I'll put them down from back here. Sounds like a deal. Hey, have a swig of this, Cormac. It'll remind you of home. Well, fuck me. You've got some red. <laughs> Very generous. Aye, well, don't drink it all. And Karin's likely swarming with these fuckers now. <laughs> How has this happened? Surely there should have been some sights. I think there has been, Orin. But I also think everyone's been too busy fucking each other over to even notice it. What do you reckon? I think Alanti is the same. The Bolora. Who can say? We sent riders up there for help. Alanti, I mean. Wouldn't waste her time on all slaving bastards beyond my teeth. No... You would have expected the High King to have sent a few men here, at least. If not, maybe some of the faints. These Galador worshippers preach about protecting a duty to defend the weak. Uh, in all fairness, it's likely the same down there. The eternal darkness has risen, and we've been caught with our breeches down. 
I can't believe there was this many of them. Over the old stair hidden. Come on. I heard about East Watering. You think that was a one-off? This has been planned. It's happening all over. Question is, where the fuck was the order when this was going on? Orange thoughts drifted to Kriya, Bredek, and the young Sigmir. They had saved him from the nightmare that was Eastwald, his torturous time in that hellhole village. And he had been so thankful for it at the time. But as he fought on, just what had they saved him from? An easy death? No. No, he felt ashamed. How ungrateful could he be? Those three had risked their lives just to rescue him. There needed to be a purpose to it. He may not be able to save everyone, but what he could do was try. Try and make his life have meaning in its final moments. And he would not go down without a fight. Look, I've been thinking. Yeah. I don't know about you, but... I really don't feel like dying here in Kalimdor. After all, we are men of Arteria. We should probably die in the motherlands, eh? Well, since you put it that way, I can only agree. I suppose we should show these fuckers how Arterians fight, eh? Aye, that's the spirit. You know, I thought you Red Swords were all snobby knights, posh boys. You're common as muck, aren't you? Oh, they are. And they all fucking hate me for it. <laughs> Why else would they send just me here? <laughs> Orin gave a quick glance down the line as he laughed. The walls were now filling up. Archers from the nation's army, the noble house's personal guard, as well as any peasantry like himself who could fire a boar. They had all been herded up to the ramparts and given a quiver. He had not seen Kriya since they'd returned to the city and wondered what role she would play in its defence. The Order had taken a huge blow, bearing the brunt of the attack when the demon struck from within the river. Few remained of the already short number of knights and initiates, and the old hunter wondered, had she taken the blame for their deaths upon her shoulders? And if so, how would it affect her? Oi, look, it's their king. It's about time he bloody showed up. These men are shitting themselves. They need some hope to cling on to. You should know as well as anyone, these bloody kings don't do the fighting, nor any of the dying. No, they leave that to the likes of us. Of course, they'll get all the glory and praise, while young lads scream for their mothers, bleeding out in their own shit, run through the length of steel by some other fool. The horse was as white as alabaster. The lever of its saddle, reins and bridle had been stained a dark blue. The horse's barding, the burgundy from the nation's flag and all of it trimmed with a polished gold and sat atop was an equally polished armoured man. He was squat and fat, that was plain to see and his face looked as white as his mount. A wispy beard and stout nose protruded from his ugly face. If this was the symbol of hope they needed, then they were all in big trouble. Heavily armoured knights rode alongside on each flank. Their armour, though not as elaborate as the king's, was still an exquisite sight to behold. I count nine personal guard. <laughs> Look at the size of him. They'll need every one of them just to cover his ass. I'm guessing Argorin would be number 20. 
Oh, that didn't even occur to me, that. Poor Argoin. Brave man. Poor bastard. His attention pulled away once again, now to beyond the battlements. Emerging from within the mass of cultists, a banner-bearer marched forth, thick-set and tall, both hands clutching a wide pole which swayed with the weight from atop it. His armour had been blackened and dark furs sprouted out from around the neck and exposed arms. Even from here, Orin could see how pale his skin was, dark tattoos or war paint standing out from its bloodless flesh. As it neared the walls... A mourn-filled wail bounced off the surrounding battlements. Somehow, some way he knew it was Kriya, and as he focused on the approaching banner, he saw not a flag, not a ragged cloth painted with a symbol of unity or devotion, but instead a man, a broken and bloody man, his hands bound as well as his legs lashed to the pole. The man's fair hair was matted with blood and dirt, a body punctured with wounds and legs crumpled from severe fractures. He squirmed, letting out a horrid cry begging for death as the monster in armour shook the pole from beneath. Orin recognised the voice. Brerick. No. No. Tears welled up in the old hunter's eyes. He did not bother to wipe them away. He had hoped that he would meet Burdick again, hoped that the squire would be waiting back in Vengarth, and he would let him know that he understood his actions now and was grateful for all he'd done for him, even though they had parted on bad terms. Yet now, as he looked, a stream of tears cascading his face, Orin knew he would never get the chance to say those words to Burdick. He squeezed his eyes closed in a moment of frustration. Orin turned, looking Cormac in the eyes, his face a picture of fury. Whoa, whoa there, lad. Keep it calm. Remember, it's not just you here. Come on, let it go. He knew exactly what to do next. Reaching for his quiver and pulling out an arrow, he tore away the pitch-soaked rag, exposing the bodkin arrowhead. took a deep breath. Kriya. Kriya had known before she saw him. A strong, unshakable bond had developed between them in their years together. He, her squire, and she, his charge. Standing on the outer wall, she howled out her grief, her anger, her pain. Tears streamed from Kriya's glowing eyes, filling the crease of her wide mouth. She would not taste how bitter they were, as the urge to lick them always proved fruitless without a tongue. Instead, the sleeve of her battle dress sufficed, her leather gambeson replaced by the mana weave of a Sundaran magus. The sleeves were silk-infused with ancient sorcery, rectangular strips of silver woven into the fabric, helping to channel her innate powers. The garment's dark green seemed to blend into a midnight blue as it caught the daylight. Her heartbreak was severe. She had known Bradick and she had loved him like the brother she once had. He would have died for her and she in turn for him, yet now, as she watched on, 
his broken body strapped to a pole like some hideous fetish. Sadness gave way to rage. She watched as from the west an arrow flew from the battlements. It was not until she saw him moving, all around him still, that it had been Orin who fired. Shocked, but for the briefest of moments she felt his intentions, and a smile of gratitude broke the grief within her. As his agonized cries ceased, Kriya felt Bradic fed from this world. She offered up a silent prayer to Galador. Her squire had earned his place within the halls of eternity. She would not let this act go unpunished. Bradic was a son of Kalandor, and his body would be brought home. Without a pause, Kriya leapt into the air, the twenty-foot drop doing little to deter her. She ignored the sounds of protest as she used her magics to ease her landing, the ground blasting apart as she came. She moved, headlong, covering the distance between the walls and the banner bearer, her legs moving like a deer as she galloped in a blood-fueled madness. Emerald green sparks surged the length of her arms. The gathering enemy saw her, and began to march forward, the banner bearer dropping the pole and unleashing a huge morning star. Closing in, a wave of green lightning, an arc of electrical death split all before her asunder. Bodies exploded in a spray of blood bone and scorched flesh. The path was clear. The huge armored warrior walked towards her, circling the air with his deadly weapon, narrowly missing the icon of magics as she stepped aside his strike. She heard the volley of arrows from the walls behind her, as well as Orin's voice calling out to her. But she did not care. Throwing both her arms out wide and low, droplets of blood flying from her hands in the action. The energy raced to form blades within her grasp. The dark-armoured knight came again, arcing its weapon right to left in rapid succession. It all its blows fell short. Kriya moved with grace and speed, seeking the right time to strike. And now, that time had come. Rolling under a sideward swing, she came up, both blades leading the way in an upward stab to the chest. Unlike a steel sword, these blades did not puncture. Instead, they burned through the plate, scorched the bloodless flesh, turning bone and dried up innards to cinders. She parted her arms separating the Revenant's upper torso from the rest of it. Without stopping, Kriya kicked over the remains and leapt to Bradic's body. Wasting no time, she grasped the pole and with a strength none could foresee, charged headlong back towards the city. She glanced back. Hundreds of screamer hounds came charging in from behind her. Cultists and shambling undead alike, some still wearing the uniform of Kalandor, followed behind then, the ground shook as it approached. A demon was coming. A loud roar of triumph came from the cultists as they raised their weapons up to cheer amongst the sea of black robes and blood-red banners. What are you doing? Run! The icon of magic stopped. Calling off her powers, she reached to her waist and from a sheath retrieved a long knife. Looking out across the battlefield, the enemy drawing nearer by the second, she slashed across her palms and squeezed them. <laughs> she held both her hands together, and in the air the blood free flowed, 
down her elbows, dripping across her hair and face. Kriya, icon of magic, slammed both her palms down hard, her head snapping up to face the oncoming horde. A massive shockwave tore through the grassland ahead of her. Furrows and lines appeared. Deep ditches cut away the soil, curving round, snaking this way and that as if ploughed by the hands of a giant. The behemoth strode forth, crushing its hapless allies beneath its massive feet as it came for her, covering ground at a terrifying pace. Kriya rose to her feet, her left arm now engulfed in fire, calling upon Ignatus and channeling the spell Ignis, allowing her to cast flame wherever she wished. She sent a huge gout of flame so hot its centre burned white, scorching the gigantic hand that now reached down for her. The demon reeled, then stepped forward to retaliate, its four arms seeking to crush the life from her. But it was too late. She was gone. Slamming her right hand down, which was now awash with blood, a wall of blinding light encircled the pair. A blue glow repelling any from entry and trapping herself inside with the demon. Kriya smiled. It had worked. The shockwave had formed a sigil in the ground, and with her incredible power focused, she had enacted the spell perfectly. She looked up at the demon, her eyes filled with the fury of a thousand suns. None would intervene. Lephias. Lephias watched on, his pale orbs going wide as the newly inhabited corpse, a corpse of a child no less, rose up under the command of the archdemon Valmaris. The musculature and tendons exposed, the slick sheen still visible in this shadowy chamber. What is this, necromancer? You would dare cross me. I will see you torn asunder for what you have done. Lephias, kill him! Lephias glanced at Kazilan, who did not so much as twitch at the command. Do it, Lephias! The Asarian prince nodded back at Lesh, who stood barely visible in the portal beyond, the servant of Valmaris's featureless mask clear beneath his cowl. In a fast and precise movement he struck, stepping forward, closing the gap, and with a powerful backhand slice he cleaved. Yell Kalashan, his deadly falchion, back and poised to strike, before the head had even hit the floor. He turned and faced them. The skinless head of Los rolled from its fallen body. The red mist which had inhabited the child's corpse moved out of it at an alarming rate, back towards the portal. Lephias leapt forward, hoping to reach the riftway and return to Baelgaroth before Valmaris's soul did so. Yet, as he made his way, a searing pain flared up in his back and struck him with enough force to send him to the ground. His hands felt weak and his grip loosened upon the blade. Anger began to take hold but he would not show it, would not allow his attacker the satisfaction of his emotions. I told you you had made a grave mistake, Asarian. <sighs> Intense pain came crashing over him, heavy as a tidal wave. I will not have all I have planned for, cast aside by your petty vengeance. 
Mesh, unless you wish your puppet turned to ash, you will bring me Valmaris's body. His soul is mine. Before he knew what he was doing, he was upright. Yelkalashan buried deep into the necromancer's chest, his flail now in hand whipped through the air, the barbs tearing across the hideous face of Kazalan. Come, Levias. Now, while you can, we must finish this. Go, Lush. Do it now, or this will all be for naught. The robed man, he guessed to be named Jeroff, fled from the room before he was even back on his feet, the sound of the coward's boots flapping against the stone as he ran away. The fires watched, like staring through a shifting window as Lesh, his unlikely ally, stood over the lifeless body of Valmaris, dragging it away from the throne it sat atop, out of view from this side of the portal. The sound of stone grinding upon stone echoed from within the rift where Lephias stood, his legs weak, yet he edged closer towards the portal. The crimson mist swirled and twisted in the air as if seeking out a target, and that was exactly what it was doing. This fog of red was the soul of Valmaris himself, and it shifted in the air, looking for its former body. Yet the body was gone. Lephias smiled as the mist began to dissipate, smiled even more as he heard the chittering of the archdemon's pets, the familiar noise of them feasting, fighting over the flesh they had been fed, was the sweetest symphony his ears had heard in a long time. And it was also the last thing Lephias heard, his pact with the archdemon violated, his body paid forfeit. Merrin. Shocked to his very core, Merrin could not believe what he had been witness to, and nor could he believe his luck. At every moment that had passed, hiding in the shadows of this corridor, he had expected to be found. And yet now, they were all dead or fleeing. He shuffled up to his feet, took a few steps before a shifting noise caused him to pause, observing as the rift in reality seemed to pulse growing slightly larger and emanating a red glow from within. The body of the tall warrior he had fought to be named Lephias suddenly slid across the ground as if pulled by an unseen hand, dragged into the open wound in reality. By Ganador, what a fucking day. The floor was slick, with a mix of black fluid which had flowed in copious amounts from the hideous being he knew to be Kazalan as well as the blood from the child's corpse. Looking upon the scene, he wondered if anything could be as foul as this. His survival instinct came to the fore, snapping him out of this wide-eyed nightmare and forcing him to look for a way to pry up the sewer gate nearby. Picking up one of the few remaining intact candles, he stepped over the necromancer's corpse to the only flame which still flickered within the room. As he knelt down to share the flame with his intact candle, he noticed it. The falchion. Its bone-coloured blade standing out, its green runes pulsing softly amongst the gloom. He reached out for the violet-coloured lever, which wound its way around the hilt. And as he did so, the hairs upon his dirt-covered neck rose. If you intend to use that weapon upon me, 
or to keep the hand which holds it, I would suggest you rethink your course of action. Immortality is not my only power, and even in this weakened state, I can flay your body to strips with a mere thought. Then why don't you? You think after all I've seen I fear death? I see it as a relief, a respite. <laughs> Suffering does not end in death, but there is a way to ease it in this life. Bring me the child's body, and I will allow you to leave unhindered and renewed. Merrin stared down at the face of Kazalan. What was this hideous creature? This undying fiend, pale-skinned and terrifying, even now as it lay broken upon the floor. I need flesh to renew flesh. Neither of us are doing harm. The child is no longer in existence. All that remains is the shell. The notion sickened Merrin. He balked, but his stomach was empty and the pain in his ribs from the movement felt like a knife to his lungs. The thought of whatever this fiend would do with the body was too much to bear, yet he knew his injuries were severe and he would suffer a torturous death crawling through the sewers. The lieutenant paused for a moment, looking down at the decapitated head which luckily was facing away from him. His hand gripped the hilt as he wrestled with his emotions. He made his decision. Somehow, Merrin knew that he hadn't. Orin. Orin could not believe his eyes. He had watched as Kriya sprang from the battlements, slaying all enemies in her path just to retrieve Bredick's body. And now, now she had locked herself in a prison of magic alongside this enormous demon which had decimated their army on the road to Fort Draden. Another volley, come on! Fire as you see fit! Do not stop until they are all dead! A horde of skinless beasts, too numerous in the counting, had slammed into the barrier Kree had made, hoping to ravage the icon of magic's flesh. But when they had failed, they came for the city instead. The defenders were outnumbered greatly, but they had the walls, and should the enemy breach them, they would fall back to the higher and more robust inner ring which protected the city itself. Few of the archers were taking time to ignite their missiles now as they launched in a panic rush, though some did, and the flaming arrows which did not hit their targets lay burning like beacons, guiding the enemies in towards the walls. Fuck me! I never even saw that coming. We need to defend that owl. Come on! Orin snatched up his quiver and ran with Cormac, who was pulling all in his path towards a breach in the wall. The enemy had brought its catapults, and one, an enormous trebuchet, was hammering the centre of the wall with huge boulders. None had hit the mark. Until now. The breach was a small gap, but it had levelled the wall enough to half of its height. By the time both he and Cormac arrived, a group of beasts had already begun to climb. 
I'm getting in there. Shoot them off as they climb. Pick them off before they reach the top! Arrow after arrow. Orin and his fellow archers fired upon the climbing beasts. The bodies began to pile, but this only allowed the newcomers a better climbing point. Those that escaped the flurry of blows were quickly hacked down by Cormac's impressive swordsmanship. Orin turned his head to see the demon, its skull-like face roaring in pain, its yellow eyes filled with hate and bloodlust as it gripped the stump where its humongous hand had been severed. Its wound now cauterized by Kriya's magic as she threw javelins of emerald light which exploded upon the beast's grey hide. Two of its forearms slammed the ground as it fell forward, knocking her off balance, and its two filled maw snapped forwards, looking to swallow her whole. Kriya filled its mouth with a fan of white flame, scorching the beast's yellow teeth, punishing it for daring to see her as a meal. Yet, as it recoiled, snapping its jaws shut, a clawed hand swatted her, sending the icon of magics slamming into the barrier. Queer! No! <laughs> Orin! Orin, listen! Orin! Orin, you stupid bastard! We've got to fall back! They're inside the city gates! The old hunter felt Cormac's grip upon his shoulder but he did not take his eyes away from the fallen Kree. Come on! Orin ran. Ran along the wall with the rest of the defenders, his feet slapping the stonework as those around him made way for the stairs down. What about Kree? We can't leave her. And what are you going to do, eh? You can't help her. Come on! They fought, defending every step of the way as they retreated to the inner wall. Somehow... Somehow the enemy had gotten inside. A few hundred cultists had found entry through the sewer system and had surprised them all from behind. As they neared the small fort that allowed entry onto the inner wall, they passed friend and foe alike. Civilians, okay. children and soldiers' okay. bodies lay broken in the street as the cobbles ran red with blood. A pale mount passed him by. He recognised it immediately as the king's horse. It's barding awash with red as the lower half of an armoured body, legs still in its stirrups, rode atop, intestines dragging along behind through the dirtied streets. Following Cormac's lead, they ran to the portcullis of the wall fortress. Open the fucking gates! Up here! This is the way to the wall, Cormac. Orin felt the push as others flowed in from behind him, fleeing as he was desperately seeking to reach the inner wall's battlements. Reaching the top of the stairs, the sound of the portcullis slamming down hard boomed from behind them. What is it? I don't know. The pair ran to the walls. Cormac snatched up a bow and quiver from a wounded soldier who had twisted his ankle, fleeing from the enemy. By Lawrence! Oh, fuck me! I never thought I'd see the day. <laughs> it's not like we don't need their help. <laughs> Look, over there. They're coming in the northern gate. 
They saw banners flying high as mounted knights rode up the causeway that led on through the northern gate into Kalandor. Banners of white, black and orange, each with their own unique crest upon them. Orin did not recognise two of the devices, yet the one he did know, the one that was the most infamous throughout Arteria, specifically northern Arteria, was the white. The white with the red bear mask of Olaf Druin. As the massive gates parted, the vanguard of Ballora's army which had snaked its way across the land coming down from the pass of Hadagar's teeth began to kick their mounts to a gallop. Wait, something's wrong here. Orin watched as they mowed down those who came to cheer in greeting, watched as lances, sword and axes took men who saw salvation in their coming. Fucking treacherous dogs! What are we going to do now? Orin's heart sank. He was going to die here in Kalandor after all, and all thanks to those Balorans. He regretted not signing up with the Arterian army now. Maybe he would have made a difference. Maybe he would have killed a few of those who were slaughtering the civilians who sheltered within its walls. Maybe he could have been lucky and died before any of this had happened. No. The thing inside of him, whatever it was, this wicked entity would have put a stop to that. It would never have allowed its horse to die. And then it dawned upon him. Immediately he dropped his bow and began to unbuckle the straps of his leather armour. Orin, what the fuck are you doing? Tearing it away from his body, leaving only his undershirt, he snatched an arrow from his quiver. Snapping the shaft, he gave a quick sigh and used its sharp edge to cut away a patch on his chest. Get up for Lenorin's sake, get up off your arse! He slashed the arrowhead across his skin, across the scar, across the agus which had been branded into his flesh. Adrenaline stemmed much of the pain, but it was still enough to make him cry out as the blood flowed. Cutting an X across the Aegis, there was a sudden jolt. He felt his body shake from within. But then, the sensation ceased. Come on. Come on, you bastard. Come on. Orin gripped the arrowhead as best as he could, his hands still slippery with his own blood, and held the point to his neck. I'm gonna die anyway. I might as well do it now. Get it over with quick. Nothing happened. Orin glanced to Cormac, who was firing his bow back the way they'd came. He held the edge of the arrowhead to his throat and pushed, the steel drawing blood upon his flesh. Still nothing. Listen, just run. They're coming, Orin. Cormac, let them come. You need to run. If this works, just run, Cormac. The sergeant... Dropping his bow, nodded at Orin and drew his sword. Touching his crossguard to his forehead in a salute, he turned and left him. Orin moved to face the enemy. They had found a way onto the upper walkway, onto the upper wall, and now yet more of these dark-robed acolytes emerged from the stairs. Two who came. Both were shaven-headed and both held a spear in hand, their scarred faces filled with sick delight as they saw the easy prayer that was Orin. As they neared, 
he felt it happen. When he came to, Orin was surrounded by fresh corpses. Blood washed the floor and body parts littered the walkway. His chest was still bleeding, but for some reason, he felt different. Lighter somehow. Renewed, even. I don't know what the fuck that was, but it is on our side, isn't it? If I'm honest, Cormac, I have no idea. Well, it's gone now. Headed off towards the palace. I hope you've done the right thing, Orin. What do you mean it's gone? It, it, well, I don't know. It just, it, it, it just came out of you. It had legs like a spider, but it was like, like a solid shadow. I can't explain. But as soon as it happened, everything just went cold. Look at the ground. The old hunter looked down to see a small puddle of blood frozen over, the ice spreading upon the stonework around it. Look, I, I can't explain it. it just, well, it killed those bastards over there. And a, a few of our own. And then, then it stopped. Stopped still. Dead still. And then it ran off over the rooftops towards the palace. <laughs> I'm glad to be free of it, but I hope I haven't unleashed them at far worse. You're a fucking dark horse, Orin Braymouth. Now get on your feet. We need to get out of here. The city's lost. We'd better head back to Vengard then. I think we should just leave the city, Orin. The Grandmaster's there. Besides, I'm not leaving Sigmir behind. We all need to get out of this shit all. Blood still covered his hands and tunic. This was not the first time he'd killed another living creature, yet that experience had done little to prepare him for the gut-wrenching feeling he'd been left with. Melanus had been a traitor. He'd poisoned Amvadar, he'd conspired with demons and likely was one of the attackers on his homeland. It still didn't help. He vomited, retching up his late supper, hands on knees stooping near the library exit. Composing himself, he crept his way through the halls. It hadn't been long when he caught sight of them and so he kept his distance, allowing them to make their way through Vengard with him an unseen observer. He thanked Argvalon for keeping him safe and then felt guilty for it. Terrified he'd wronged his new patron god, he spoke the only words he remembered in homage to Galador. They had split off. These fiends and a mortal man, yet the largest and most fearsome of the group, the apparent leader, this Astaroth, seemed to move with a purpose. Sigmir stayed in the shadows as best he could, hiding in doorways and rooms that opened up along the way, his heart pounding in his chest at the thought of being discovered. But this hallway led to the Grand Master's chambers, through the Grand Hall, and unfortunately for him, Astaroth now stalked in that direction. 
Following in behind the demon, Sigmir darted off to the far corner, keeping to the shadows, hiding his presence. He'd been determined to inform Ulrich before now, but hiding behind one of the many granite pillars, he realized his warning had not been needed. It has been a long time since I have looked on these halls. So beautiful, so majestic, it disgusts me. Drink it all in, foul one, for this will be the last time you lay eyes upon this world, let alone Vengard. Do you think this pitiful display will deter me? <laughs> you are outmatched, old man. The Grand Master had been waiting. Alongside his bodyguards, Samir and another man he did not know the name of, they awaited sword in hand, shield ready. He wondered, looking at the immense size of Astaroth, not to mention the sense of dread that emanated from this beast, if Ulrich and his two guards would be enough to tackle him. Then he remembered that Ulrich was Kriya's superior, and that the icons worked underneath him for a reason. You have failed already. By coming here, you have sealed your fate. It is you who is outmatched. You stand before the Grand Master of the Order. You know my strength, even if your underlings do not. It is why your eyes are wide with fear. I can smell it. I can taste it upon your flesh. It adds such a wondrous flavor to the meat. Your ilk will be purged from arm. The lodestone will be destroyed. And the gateway will remain forever closed. Ulrich reached out his hand, as if grasping something from the air. As his fingers closed, a spear of ivory flame materialized within his grasp, waves of heat rippling the air around him. The only thing your foul tongue will taste today is the bitterness of defeat. Now come! Ulrich leveled his spear, but Astaroth was already moving. The fiend had leapt, closing the gap between them, slamming down into the mosaic ground, smashing the tiles underfoot. An immense backhand swipe, so the unknown knight at Ulrich's side sent flying backwards, his body crashing into the nearest pillar as his armor crunched upon impact. Ulrich thrust his spear and went high and low as he advanced, yet somehow Astaroth swatted or dodged away the strikes. Samir slashed as well, but her sword blows never seemed to land. Astaroth surged forward, his huge talon-like hand leading the way as he landed a powerful uppercut upon Samir, her shield absorbing the blow, but it sent her backwards all the same. Clearly winded and in pain, she struggled to her feet, as Ulrich did his best to defend against a flurry of strikes. <laughs> Is this the might of the Order? The demon's massive arm reached out, grasping Samir's shield and tearing it out of her hand. In retaliation, she swung her sword, a wild and reckless attack, but the steel merely bounced, sparking off Astroff's hide, leaving no damage. Samir lunged forward, her blade seeking out Astroff's gut, hoping to run him through. The attack, though clearly telegraphed, seemed not to bother Astaroth, did little to react even as the sword slid in deep, ramming all the way to the hilt. Sigmir watched as the archdemon's arm thrust forward, 
his terrible claws puncturing through Samia's armour and body. The bodyguard's life source coughed out onto her polished plate mail as the demon roars her up to meet his yellow gaze. A moment of distraction was all Ulrich seemed to need. As he launched forth, his spearhead aimed high for the demon's throat. Yet the Duke of the Bloodlands caught the weapon's tip in his powerful hand and held it tight. The holy energy searing his demonic flesh, smoking the air around it. In a flash of movement akin to the speed of a striking cobra, Astaroth lunged forward, snapping shut his powerful jaws around Samir's exposed head. Her body hit the floor with a clatter, her plate mail awash in blood as yet more flowed out amongst the remains of her half-eaten head, brain matter and skull fragments sliding away from the gory mess as her corpse settled upon the floor. I will see you burn for that. For the order! A flash of light filled the chamber, and Sigmir saw Astaroth's feet being held in place. A large sigil had appeared in the ground, its outline traced in the same glowing white flame that engulfed Ulrich's weapon. Coming out from behind the pillars came the rest of Ulrich's men and those of the Order who had stayed to defend in Vengard. Thick chains in the midst of their gauntlet-encased hands, they tossed the counterweights to each other, crisscrossing around Astaroth, wrapping him in chains. If Astaroth had been surprised, he did not show it, and instead went to swing at Ulrich in an effort to behead the Grand Master. But the swing was futile, for in an instant the chain snapped tight and he was suspended in mid-air. Do not waver in your duty. We must hold him until the spell is complete. <laughs> Pull yourselves together. We need to focus. Do you see? <laughs> I foresaw your coming, beast. We are prepared. And did you foresee this? I did not come alone. He had not heard them enter the hall. He had not seen them. Yet they passed him by without a glance. Tearing into the room like a pack of flesh-hungry wolves came the other demons. They descended upon Ulrich and his warriors with savage delight. The two holding the chain died within seconds of each other, and that was enough for Astaroth. The links shattered like glass scattering upon the mosaic ground as it fell, following behind Astaroth crunching the small tiles as he landed. Ulrich, who had tried to reach one of the falling chains, had dropped his spear. The item, now without his magics, returned to its original form, a simple weapon, useless without its wielder. But Ulrich did not need a spear to fight. As his knights fought and died around him at the wicked hands of these newcomers, he prayed. Sprays of blood and limbs torn from sockets, he prayed. The power funneling into him as he charged for Astaroth, his hands sparking with powerful energies, unleashing arcs of lightning as he swung his fists. The shock wave of power rippled through the hall, scattering the ancient dust and dislodging loose masonry. Upon impact, Astaroth staggered back, the black fluid that was his blood seeping up through the many lacerations across his torso. 
Archdemon lunged, both hands reaching down, seeking out Ulrich's throat. As the Grandmaster called forth the last of his spell, the energy which sparked and crackled from his limbs now morphed, transforming back into the ivory flame once again. Only this time, it engulfed his whole body in a self-immolation. As much as it burned him, Astaroth persisted, lifting Ulrich off the ground to meet his infernal gaze. Plumes of smoke rose from his vice-like grip around Ulrich's neck as the celestial fire of Galador scorched the Duke of the Bloodlands. Ulrich felt his energy begin to fade, felt the breath go out of him. He could do naught now. The size and stature of Astaroth prevented him from being able to physically harm him without the aid of a weapon, and he had given up much of his power to maintain the chain's strength. The flames stopped and now only an old man in armour, held by the neck, remained in the archdemon's grasp, his eyes bloodshot and his face turning blue as the last breath was choked from him. Astaroth loosened his grip, allowing Ulrich to breathe. A raspy death rattle came forth, and then, from behind the demon's shoulders, came the secondary limbs, Born like spears upon articulated joints, and they plunged deep into Ulrich's shoulders, ripping through the armour and the weak flesh beneath it. Suspended above Astaroth and wheezing, blood free-flowing from his wounds and palms, Ulrich, the Grand Master of the Order, half-conscious, saw through tear-filled eyes the bodies of his personal guard, broken and piled in a heap of mutilated corpses. You see, Grandmaster, you never stood a chance. Know this, once I have the stone, I'll see to it that every member of your order is eradicated. Enjoy whatever afterlife you have awaiting you. Give my regards to your weakling god. And with that, Astaroth's right arm shot through Ulrich's body, crunching through steel and bone, tearing out his heart and part of his lungs. The Grand Master of the Order's eyes went wide and remained so, his lifespan spent as Astaroth devoured the gore with a sickening enthusiasm. <laughs> Sigmir whimpered and sobbed, placing his hand over his mouth as warm tears fell down his trembling face. What would he do? What could he do? The Grand Master was dead. The Order was dead. They had failed. What was happening here? It was too late. Nobody could stop it. Ah, we meet again. Come to die with your grandmaster, have you? Come to finish what we started in the prison tomb. Sigmir dared not look, but he could not stop himself. The demon's allies stood behind him, poised, ready to strike this newcomer who waited in the shadow of the rear entrance. A blade caught the light first. The crystalline shards above him casting illumination upon the shining steel. Then a face, 
one he recognised as well as the stature of a huge warrior. The man he knew as the icon of war, the Order's greatest warrior, Anvidar. Disbelief forced his eyes wide. He was dead. He was dead. None of that mattered now, for he was here. Sigmi arose, emboldened by the sight of Anvidar, and if he did not help him, then all would be lost. Before he had even stepped out from the pillar, Astaroth had struck, lunging forward in a blur his black razor-sharp talons, seeking out Anvidar's throat. Yet a sudden jolt surprised him. The sword had flashed by in his right hand, severing the demon's arm at the wrist. The icon of war's left hand held a vice-like grip around Astaroth's other. Even as the archdemon reeled in pain, the grip of the icon of war did not falter. As massive as the demon was, he held him in place and did not let go. A roar of pain echoed within the hall, and Sigmir saw the panic wash over the demon's allies as they observed, unsure of how to act. Sigmir walked forward, unthinking, taken by a trance-like whim, a folly which exposed him greatly, yet he did not care. He saw as Amvadar's blade ruptured through the back of Astaroth, the shining steel glistening as black ichor dripped from it. The young Ven's jaw dropped open wide at what he saw next. With little to no effort, Amvadar raised the weapon and a flailing Astaroth along with it, holding the demon who now stood twice his size up into the air, with one hand still free. He felt it before he saw it, a familiar feeling, a dread which creeped into his bones. His breath misted before him, and he saw the ground was slick with a fresh coat of frost. The blade still inside the helpless body of the archdemon, who struggled to no avail, turned to black flame, moving shadow instead of rigid metal, and then... Without warning, it happened. Eight arachnid-like legs, made from the blackest of shadow, formed from behind Amphidar, snapped forth, stabbing deep into random sections of Astaroth's humongous body before retracting with those pieces, sending them flying, scattering the fleshy chunks amongst the dead who lay upon Vengard's ground. The five demons. The group of fiends did not hesitate. Instead, they turned heel and fled, running past Sigmir and out of the door, out of his view, out of Vengard, and to where only the gods know. Anfida? It is good to see you again, son of Olaf. No, no, it can't be. No. Where is Ori? Where is Ori? <laughs> Rowan. Have you drank all the mead, Orin? Eh? Uh, you want a fair bit of it yourself, you greedy fucker. Don't be blaming it all on me. Tell him, Rowan. He drank all the last of the red as well, the greedy bastard. Can you not keep it down? 
I'm trying to get some rest here. Oh, it's not us. Korea won't fucking shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Rowan. You still writing those bloody letters, eh? Yeah, speaking of which. Remember we're trying to hide here? Keep the noise down, eh? Oi, Rowan. Cree will be back any minute, lad. Don't be forgetting it's your turn next. It's been nearly a year since we left Vengar. Left Calendor. Much has changed in that time, and I wish I could say it was for the better. I don't even know why I write this, but... I hope that one day it will serve as a record. A chance for anyone who will ever read it to know that we few who remain continued the fight. I had hoped that Anvadar would be my mentor, my teacher, and in these times we could really use him. But, like much in this world, nothing turns out how we hope. Rest in peace, my brother. You are missed, and all I do is to honour your memory. The old man Orin and the red sword Cormac told me much of what I missed in the last days before Kalendor fell. Those two keep my memories of home alive. And it's good to see that I have someone to share vengeance with. Those two found me making my way out of Vengar. We escaped down the unused tunnels from the vigil chamber. And it was there I met Kriya for the first time. Regardless of what I thought of the other two, I knew immediately who she was. Anvidar's descriptions were perfect. And how many women have fiery red hair and even more fiery eyes. When the Balorans came, the city's defenders thought they were saved. Yet the bastards had come for a different reason. They had come at the command of Olaf Druin, the leader of the Triumvirate of Balora. For a Ven, just for a boy named Sigmir. Orin tells me that this Sigmir is Olaf Druin's son, and that if he's still alive, we should make an effort to find him. Kalendor... Amkarin, and all the Venice lands are gone. Even as I write this, I can't believe it's true yet. In my heart, I know it is. Since the fall of the nations, demon lords have risen in power, taking control of the lands and enslaving the people, or twisting them with dark magics. Nowhere is safe for us, and we will not be able to rest until we reach Alantir. Just this morning, we attacked a camp of the demon hybrid filth, the fucking traitors who sold their souls to the eternal darkness. Well, I hope you enjoy your reward, you scum. Even though the order is, well, no more. Myself and Kriya, the Archon of Shadows, Garrick, if he's still alive, do remain. And maybe one day we can retake Vanguard and rebuild the order. Kriya's helping me with my abilities. But we have not connected as well as I did with Ulrich, and progress is slow without a way to communicate fully. I haven't said as much, but I think it's the lodestone. I feel its call every day, and until we're in the mountains of Kefkulin, I know I'll continue to suffer under its pull. Tomorrow we're heading out to what remains of Greywatch, hoping for some supplies maybe. We need something before the long road to Alantir. I pray to the Mother of the Stars every day, and give thanks to her and Galador for keeping us alive. This fight is not over. Not while I still draw breath. 
and I swear it upon my life, I will have vengeance. Hey, Rowan. Cree is back. You're on watch, lad. I don't suppose you've got any, uh, red hidden away, have you? No, I bloody told you. I gave you the last of it before... Do you remember hearing stories from your parents or grandparents about huddling around the old radio and listening to a radio drama? And now, Mystery Theater, brought to you in part by True Value Hardware, your store of first choice. Not only could you see well, play out in your head, stories of love, I mystery, and Marshall. murder. Stories that would Welcome bring families to together, even if for just one night. Welcome but it would be discussed the until the next chapter was released. Or how, how about when your parents used to put you to bed early enough so they could sit down and enjoy the nightly news? Good evening from CBS News. This is Newsbreak. Moments from now, President Reagan will speak to the nation and the Congress. The burden of the message, his health is much improved after the shooting a month ago. But the nation's economic health is not, and the country needs the economic program, which is the centerpiece of his administration. These news broadcasts were televised with big names from back in the day, and even big, bigger stories of war, economic struggle, or economic bliss, and the topics would affect us all. Then there were the boomboxes back on every shoulder and Walkmans in every pocket, with headphones on so we can enjoy and share our favorite music of the day. Then there was Netflix, the next evolution of human entertainment platforms, who created the new verb binge, where you could get lost for hours watching through a season of a show and then find a new show to binge on. And finally, that brings us to the next big evolution of audio in the history of man. What if I told you there was one platform that not only covered all the genres and topics that the past has enjoyed on so many different platforms, from the old-time audio dramas to the most breaking news of today's era, from history long forgotten, health tips from experts, in-depth dives into crimes and murders, from hobbies of all kinds like video games and technology, to interviews with the professional athletes that you watch, all these can be unlocked to you and for free in the world of podcasting. Podcasts are not your grandparents' radio or your parents' nightly news anchor. They are the evolution of audio and the evolution of entertainment in our day and age. Podcast Junkie will be here to help guide you on finding the perfect ones for you. Coming soon to all platforms. Podcast Junkie will be a bite-sized podcast ranging from 4 minutes to a max of 15, giving you a quick overview of why I personally enjoy podcasts, and even a sneak peek of an episode or a trailer for the show we're talking about that week. So stay tuned, and in the coming weeks, 
We'll hope you'll let Podcast Junkie be the TV guide, so to speak, or better yet, the podcast guide to your next obsession. Podcast Junkie.